Hi, this is Seth Mosley, and this is the Made It in Music Podcast, show 165. Welcome to the podcast, where we bring you tools and resources to help you go full-time in music and to stay in. The music business is a roller coaster ride, changing faster than any of us can pay attention to. We all need a competitive edge to stay ahead and to stay successful. What's working, what isn't, and what's coming? That's exactly what this show is all about. Back again with Full Circle Music, the Made It in Music podcast. What's up? Seth Mosley here. We're on the Made It in Music podcast with my friend, music publisher Chris Oglesby. I'm going to give him the proper introduction here in a second. It is long. He has accomplished a lot in the industry, so you're going to want to stick around for the entire episode. But before we jump in, if you've been listening to the Made It Music podcast for a while and haven't listened to our deep dives, you are missing out. You should definitely check them out. Deep dives are basically pieces of bonus content for all of you super fans out there who want to learn even more from our podcast guests. To check out this exclusive content, head over to madeitinmusic.com. Our guest today is Chris Oglesby. Chris, who joined BMG in 2013, has more than three decades of experience in the music industry, including time at Almo slash Irving Music, where he signed Grammy Award winner Craig Wiseman and BMG Music Publishing, where he spent more than a decade working with the songwriters behind hits such as Check Yes or No by George Strait, Young by Kenny Chesney, and Born to Fly by Sarah Evans. And that's not all. Chris also pursued his own venture, Oglesby Writer Management, as a part of 19 Entertainment along with managing the careers of developing and established songwriters, including Rodney Crowell and Dan Crouch. Chris became instrumental in developing the career of Carrie Underwood. His ties with 19 Entertainment remained strong after his company became independent in 2010, producing number one hits with Kit Moore's Something About a Truck and Jake Owen's Alone With You. And most recently, BMG announced his promotion to the post of Senior Vice President of Creative the lead creative publishing role in BMG Nashville's office. I'm so excited to see what we're going to learn from Chris today. Chris, thanks for being here. Hey, thanks so much, Seth, for having me. I'm a big fan of yours. Um, I love it when our writers can get together with you and and create the magic that happens in that room right over there. So mm. uh, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Man, uh, well, hey, it's, it's my honor. I, I, you know, everything in the intro, you've got quite a career in the music business. So I'm excited for, for me just to, to learn and glean from your years of experience in it. Well, glad to help in any way I can. It, it's when you say three decades, that's a long time, you know, it's a but, while, but the great thing about it is, um, I, I've been in it that long, but I really only had to work probably five, six days. Mm-hmm. All the rest has just been absolute blast and, and uh, <laughs> I, good. I love it I, I just love what i get to do every day for so living. you're a believer so. in if you if you do a job you love you never work a day in your life you i have well like i said probably five uh but no i d- just i get up every morning looking forward to the day and uh waiting for that five o'clock three thirty four o'clock knock on my door when a writer says, hey, you need to come down here and check this out. Mm. And uh, it, it's just some of the most magical, memorable moments that I've had in the business. And 
And I, I love it. I mm. love it. So good. I want to I want to hear all about that, but I want to rewind and ask how did you get started in the music industry? I grew up uh singing gospel music with my family. And my mm. dad was a minister and and we spent every weekend and all summer singing and uh traveled or went around with a, a an evangelistic team that that had a three-pole mm. tent. And they would set this tent up and preach sermons and draw chalk drawings and wow. and our family would sing and so we traveled a lot in the summer and so through college and and high school and college I I continued to sing and so I moved down here thinking I would be be an artist and um, but discovered music publishing and it was. Uh, there was no turning back after the bug bit me, I guess. So Yeah, that's awesome. So who was the first artist that cut a song that you pitched? Do you, do you remember that? I, I think it was Susie Boggess. Um, there was a, a John, uh, it was a Nancy Griffith song that I had sent and played and, and, uh, and she ended up cutting it. So what was, what was cool the thing. what was the story behind that? Like, do you, do you remember what kind of happened surrounding that first cut? I mean, it had to be a big deal at the time. I don't know because it just kind of happened without any pomp or circumstance, mm -hmm. and it was one of those things where I'm beginning just to develop relationships in the business, and it's like, I mean, check these songs out. Here's some cool things, and. And uh, and I was digging in deep in, in the Almo Irving catalog and and uh, trying to learn as much as I could from David and Mary Del Frank and and um, so like I said there wasn't any pomp or circumstance but a lot of my time I would call my friends who were wanting to be producers and say come over if you've got an artist after five thirty because I was making tape copies. Mm. Uh, I'll play you some songs and maybe you hear something that will work for your artist to get them a record deal, get you in the studio doing what you want to do. So there was a little network of us that kind of worked together like that. And, uh, and it worked out uh, well on a couple of occasions you mm. know, for them. That's more. awesome. But. So um, let's start with the basics. For people out there who don't know, what is a music publisher? What does a music publisher do? Um, in a nutshell, a music publisher finds writers uh, to sign to an, an agreement, and um, those writers will begin writing songs for that publishing company, and then the publisher's job is to uh, find homes for those songs or artists to sing them, and um, that's it in a nutshell. It, the the role has grown and morphed in different ways through the years, um, but generally speaking, that's 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 it. I try to I take our writer songs and try to land them on a Keith Urban record or you know Kenny Chesney or anybody else. Yeah, so. and and another big part of the role nowadays that I I don't know maybe you can speak to this, but I don't know if this has always been part of the role, but a big part now is. 
managing the writer calendar and booking yes. co-writes, mm-hmm. which, you know, a lot of the time you're trying to get writers in the room with the artists. Is that a newer part of it or has that been since the beginning? No. Back when I started, all the writers kept their own calendars. And uh, and I would – I had those big, uh, you know, things, books. I don't even know what you call them, calendars that you would open up. And I would just write in there. Mm. I had one for every writer mm. and what they were doing and who they were writing with. And, and, uh, and occasionally I would have an idea of, like, hey, you should write with this person. And um, – uh, and then I would try to help facilitate that. But once they did it, then they would be on the phone with the that co-writer saying, we need to get some more days and put them back in the books and stuff. But now, and I try to encourage my writers to do that now um, because it can be a little bit of an overwhelming task to keep all of that together and yeah. confirm things and stuff. So. Yeah. No, I know from from our experience, with especially with you know Stacy who runs our publishing, it's it can be a full time job just mm-hmm. keeping writers' calendars straight and organized and moving a session and getting this person in with this person. So, I think you hit on a really important point that the the, the publisher's best friend is a writer that when you make the introduction, they can build the relationship and it's, they keep it going. Yeah, and, and it's all about that relationship. You know, uh, if I keep putting things in a writer's calendar that they don't enjoy or there's not that good creative connection, um, I'm wasting everybody's time. And so uh, I always like to have that feedback from our writers of, man, this day was awesome. This day, not so much. It's not going to change my perspective of who they're talking about. I just know that that's not a good creative fit or the personalities don't gel or, you know, from as much writing and creative work together that you do. If you're not looking forward to seeing somebody walk through the door, you know, just because you have a bit of a rub, it doesn't matter if they're the most successful writer on the planet, probably not going to generate some good, some good songs. Yeah, it's got to be it's got to be fun. Yeah, um, people get confused a lot between you know publishers and A and R. What? Mm-hmm. How, how would you explain somebody who didn't know what it was? What What's the big difference? I think the the for me anyway, you can ask that question to a lot of people and get a lot of different answers. But for me, the big difference is the publisher digs in way early on into the song to try to help the writer get have that song be the best that it can be. Um, A&R is, works more on the artist side and helping a writer uh, get a vision out there. They work with the artist, the producer, then they go out in the, the publishing community and look for songs that help um, convey what that artist wants to say and what they want to do. Mm. So, uh, so I don't know if that answered your question or not. Yeah. So the publisher is generally the one that would be pitching to the A and R. Generally speaking, you know, and the one going, man, I love this idea, but I don't think the second verse is saying what you mean for it to say it's hitting me a little different this way and so we just have good dialogue uh, about those 
kinds yeah. of things. Because sometimes writing, you get so close to it, and um, you get so close to the song, you know everything in your head, and sometimes mm-hmm. a line can can be taken a couple different ways, and you never realize it until yeah. somebody who doesn't know yeah. or not in there hears it. Yeah, and and to be fair, you know, a lot of the time A and R, they're they're functioning in a similar role, mm-hmm. um, where they're going through songs, maybe not as in the weeds like you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Some A and Rs are, it just depends on who the who the person is. Um, but what is the you know, a, as a publisher, you've been doing this for a long time, you know. Mm-hmm. People are always wondering, okay, how do I, as a songwriter, how do I get my songs cut? Like, is it is it as simple as just having a relationship with an A and R person, or what what is the process that generally happens, but you know, behind the scenes to get a song actually placed on an artist's record? That is an evolving thing because I think you have to take each artist, each label, each producer, everything on its own. Merit because what works to get on one record might not work to get on another. Mm-hmm. And um, so some artists have independent help on the A&R front that just look for songs. And sometimes that's maybe the best way to go. Sometimes it's through the label. Sometimes it's straight to the producer or the artist themselves. You know, so many things, so many times now, it's about getting in the room with the artist to write the song. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always been the guy saying to me that's overrated because the only thing you're guaranteed is that the artist will hear the song. Yeah. Um, yeah. But so many songs now are written by the artist, and I've had to adjust my thinking you know, from when I started to the way things function and operate now. Yeah. So. I mean, I, I feel like, you know, and it's, it's probably different in different genres. And I think in country in particular, A-list artists especially, they still recognize, okay, a good song is a good song. doesn't matter mm-hmm. who wrote it. Mm-hmm. it you know, the, the Keith Urbans and the Tim McGraws and, you know. Right. In pop and, and in other genres, it's, I would venture to say it's probably 90% of the time what what you said, where the artist right. has to be on it, otherwise they're not going to cut it. Right, right. So as a publisher, what, you know, have there been any kind of strategies, tactics, reframing the way you do business that sort of evolved with that? Just trying to do a deep dive into a particular artist camp, I'll sit down with my, with our writers and um, we'll talk about their strengths as a writer and who are the artists that fit into what they do. Because if you look at a, a writer's body of work, a typical kind of song comes to mind. Like if I were to say James Taylor, mm-hmm. certain kind of song or Diane Warren or, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know, Paul Williams, um, they do a certain kind of song. Not that they can't do a lot different, but the core, the heart and soul of who they are is in this area. Mm. And uh, so I try to learn that with each of my writers and keep them in their strength zone, doing what they do best while trying to press the boundaries. So we'll look at the artist where those songs 
go for you know mm -hmm. so like you they typically write george Strait kind of things so well that touches on this artist and this artist and so we'll just move them around and try different things uh yeah. writing wise to to make those artist rights happen and then try to plug them into that artist camp mm. so that's good really good answer um in your opinion, what is the point where a songwriter should be start getting in, in contact with a publisher and think about maybe having those meetings or submitting songs or you know working with a publisher? Boy, that's a that is a tough one uh, because it's a full time job. I had somebody ask me one time of all of the writers that you've worked with, what's the is there a common denominator in them? the ones that have been successful. And um, the answer to that question, it, it took me a minute, but they all work hard. It, mm -hmm. You know, Craig Wiseman works harder than anybody. The guy makes coffee in the morning and sets the alarm at night. And um, he's there every day, all day, putting in the time, trying to make words work together in a way that, that – is uniquely him and in a, in a way that are accessible to a lot of people. And so, but all of them, they work really hard. So I think a, a writer who's looking to get a publishing deal has to ask themselves, do they, can they do that? You know, um, are there songs uh, written in a way where, you can say I love you without saying I love you, um, um, you know, and, and it doesn't, to me, it doesn't matter whether they're demoed or guitar vocals. I get asked that question so many times, but you just have to do what's best for the song. I, I would think in the beginning stages, guitar vocals work best because especially today, if you do a demo on a song, and it's not right sonically, it can have a hugely negative impact on a song because mm -hmm. people will hear it differently. Yeah. You know? That's, man, um, that's so well said. So there can be many times when, yeah, that guitar vocal, it leaves room for the artist's imagination to mm -hmm. envision their band or their their sound or or the producer to hear their sound on it. So the thing I would say and add to that is, there are bad guitar vocals and there are good guitar vocals. Yes. Like you mm -hmm. still, would you say that it's still really important to have a good singer to present the demo in a good light? Uh, I don't know. I, yes, that always helps. But um, there again, I just, not to keep using Craig as an example, but probably not the best singer in the world. You yeah, know. yeah, tech, tech, technical terms, right? Right. Yeah, but nobody delivers his song in the pocket or with the heart or in a way that works with the track better than him because he knows them. Mm -hmm. And and I remember early on we tried, you know, let's get this singer, let's get this singer because people mm -hmm. were having trouble hearing through his vocal and and. Uh, we just ended up back with him. Mm -hmm. They just felt better and uh, worked better in the in the long run. So I would say 
whatever feels like works best for that's just such a lame answer but no it's, it's just it's so true it's case by case yeah so would you say uh, you know of the writers that you've worked with over the years do you find that the ones who are able to deliver their own songs and sing their own demos have an advantage in that sense i think so because you're not trying to have to convey an emotional aspect to what you've written to a demo singer you just get in there and you sing it. And so many people, Craig or Luke or Bobby Hamrick or James Slater, or anybody, they're all very stylistic singers. Mm -hmm. And so you have to know if you're going to get somebody else, which song to put them on. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I've noticed is while you can have trouble early on with someone's vocal you know, their tone or their style or whatever, if they get a couple of hits, people start hearing through that a little better. Mm -hmm. I don't know what that is, but... Meaning they know it was a song that, that Craig wrote, even though it might not be sonically the most pleasing vocal, they know it's a Craig song, so they kind of hear it a little differently? Yeah, I think so. I think they... they uh, infer a lot or maybe it's just the fact that now they've been doing it so long that people are used to it mm -hmm. i don't know the answer to that but yeah. I, I know vocals have a uh, um, a tendency to steer people one way or another they can sometimes mm. one of the big uh questions that always comes up you know especially when people are in music business school or reading you know donald passman's books or any of that stuff mm -hmm. is you know why would a writer want to quote, give up their publishing or sign their publishing as opposed to keeping it for themselves? Because we were talking earlier about team and uh, you, this is a relationship business and you have to have connections within the business. Mm -hmm. And um, so I feel like a writer, when he finds the, the person sitting across the table from him that has the same vision and goals as him, that writer can take all of their gifts and strengths and combine them with this publisher's contacts and business thing. They each can focus on what they do best, and then when they lock elbows or lock hands, it's hard to pull that apart, mm -hmm. you know. And and uh, so each one is going to make the other one better. Mm -hmm. um, uh, James Slater makes me a better publisher every day. He... He challenges me to get outside my comfort zone um, uh, and do things I might not normally do. Um, and then I feel like you'll have to ask him, but I feel like uh, <laughs> I challenge him, too, to maybe take a little bit more laid back approach mm -hmm. and or uh, look at a song differently or whatever. Mm -hmm. but, Can you is there any story or example that kind of comes to mind with with that, whether it's in respect to James or any, any of the writers that you've been able to work with? I can't, I, I mean, I can't think of a specific thing, but I know with every one of them, I have learned so much. And uh, some of the deals have worked out great, and um, some of the deals haven't. And even in the ones that haven't worked out the way that we had hoped that they would. 
I've learned a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember uh, I signed a, a friend of mine, Dan Couch, who wrote mm-hmm. something about a truck. And, and um, one of the first things I did, and it was a massive mistake, and uh, it was like, okay, Dan, you're in the big leagues now. And um, all those people you used to write with, they're gone. Mm. You know, we're going to get you in this lane and this lane. And and um, so while my I feel like my thinking and my intent was good, what I did, what I felt like I did was rip his mm. security blanket away from him and not give him a sense of safety and comfort and all those things he's learning writing with people like Craig or other writers who have been in the business a while, he was not able to exercise those things with in a comfort comfortable place, mm-hmm. you know. And so it really uh, challenged me to look at the way I approach things with setting up writers' calendars and things like that. So that's about the that's the one yeah. that comes to mind the most. Yeah, no, thank so you for sharing that. I think that's sure. that's uh, that's a good point because a lot of writers have this perception, especially when they are thinking about signing to a company like BMG or you know any of the other majors for that matter. I think they think that it's there's going to be a switch that just flips overnight, and a lot of the times it's more that you kind of when you're especially when you're new, you're still building your own camp, like you're building your people, mm-hmm. and so. Mm-hmm. Just because somebody's brand new doesn't mean that they're not capable of greatness, right? Yeah, and and I think everybody, and I'm mostly when I'm talking, I'm talking about writers that that haven't had a deal. Yeah, but um, you're right. Most everybody who gets signed for the first time to a publishing deal, they immediately think their songs have gone from here to here. But they're the same person and they're the same writers. And mm-hmm. and many times I've tell people our goal in this first year, it's not about getting cuts. Mm-hmm. It's about making the songs better, building a, a foundation that you can build a whole career on and getting better as a writer. And because they come in and they're competing with the Ashley Gorleys and the the Hillary Lindsay's and the Craig Wiseman's and, and, um, uh, they're all after the same song. Mm -hmm. So if you feel and most of the time they don't hear me, they go, I'll show him, you know? And, uh, but, but after a while they, they start to get it and understand it and Mm -hmm. things. So would you say that it's a common misconception for, for, people who are breaking into the business, like just the sheer amount of songs that they have to write. Like I think often, I mean, even when I was starting out, I can, I can remember looking at these guys who are writing hundreds of songs a year or whatever. Like it it just doesn't register in people's minds how much you have to be doing it. It's unbelievable. I mean, if you look at it and this is the, this kind of the way I look at it, it's a 10% game. And um, that if you can get 10% of what you do to have an impact on your career, you're going to be in a very good spot. Mm. And um, whether 
it's writing a song that gets you a publishing deal or writing a song that gets you a number one record. If you can get 10% of it to work, you'll be great. Mm. Um, and there's not many jobs you can have that uh, a 10% uh, right. ratio. 100 batting average. Yeah, right. Is, uh, but, but I, you know, songs are written for all kinds of reasons. And um, uh, sometimes they're meant to be number one records, and sometimes they're written just to get to the next song. And uh, so, but uh, you know, I I, th- I feel like that's the that's the the num yeah. that's the number. And I hope I hope people hear that and just you know we we talk about it a lot. And I, I guess the ratio probably is different for every writer, probably different for every publisher, I imagine. But mm-hmm. the point is, is, you have to write a lot of songs to get to the to the good ones, to get to yeah. the ones that'll actually yeah. get cut. And that's not you know that. Ten percent is not true for everybody. Yeah. Uh, I've uh, got to meet, or I've met Sonny Throckmorton, who wrote "The Way I Am" and a bunch of classic songs, and we were uh, uh, sharing stories. When well, actually, he was sharing stories. I was listening mm-hmm. and learning, and um, uh, he was talking about uh, back when he came to town and started having success, he was writing second verses on the way to the studio to give to somebody. And I asked him what he thought his percentage was. And it was a different day and age, but it was it was more in the neighborhood of 80% of what he was writing was finding a, a getting cut. Wow. You know, that's incredible. Yeah. That's but, unbelievable. I mean, nowadays... No, you're not seeing. And well, there's just a, yeah. I think a lot more people after the same song, like mm-hmm. you were saying. Yeah, yeah. So of of the writers that you work with and that you've worked with over the years, who achieve that success, what? How many songs would you say a year they're they're turning in? I worked with a, a guy for a long time, Bobby Hamrick. It was, uh, I think he turned in. 155, 60 one year. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it, it varies for everybody, but I would say 40 maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't even know. That's a good question. I'm going to have to figure that one out. Sure. Because we look at them in um, percentage, was, you know, so if you co-write one, that's a half a song. Sure. Sure. Um, so, but just whole songs delivered, pitchable. Um, I don't know. It could be as high as sixty. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, that's and you know, again, for for a lot of people, they're not they're not willing to to do the work to to get there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, what does your process look like nowadays for finding and signing new songwriters? Um, I still rely on uh, we, like a. We have an incredible team of people at BMG, and they're out all the time. But um, I still find people um, uh, out at writers' nights um, uh, through word of mouth from other people. Hmm. Um, I have a great relationship with a lady named Barbara Cloyd, and she will call me every once in a while and say, I've heard 
this person, I think you will like them. And mm-hmm. so I'll reach out to them. And, and uh, so it's different on different, you know, you find them different ways. So, yeah. Yeah. But. That's awesome. Is it often a, a song, a specific song that will convince the publisher to sign the writer? Or is it more about the, the relationship? It's a combination of both. And, and I will tell you, in most of the ones that I've signed, it's not even the song. It, it's lines in songs. Mm. Um, it's the way they rhyme words or they use internal rhymes or they – I remember hearing Luke Laird for the first time, and I don't even remember the song, but it was the way he rhymed the word weather. And he wrote it all by himself. And you could see that theme show up in his other songs. Same with Craig. Oh, my gosh. How would you think of that right there, that one line? Mm-hmm. You know, And it would show up in all of these songs that he had written. Um, so it's, it's different with, mm-hmm. with, uh, with everybody. So it's um, more of a, almost more of a DNA, like a writer DNA. Yeah. Yeah, you hear that thing that just gets your juices flowing, and then you sit down with those people and see how this goes. Mm-hmm. You know, do do we connect creatively? Are we going to the same place? Mm-hmm. You, you know, and if you feel that and there that trust level comes in, you have a match made in heaven. I think in many cases, yeah. and um, so it, it can be a. Uh, an amazing connection when that writer and that publisher find each other. Mm. So you've been, you've been with BMG for a while and again, congrats on the promotion. Can can you tell us a little bit about BMG and what, what makes you guys unique in the Nashville publishing landscape? I'm so excited about BMG and the opportunity there. This is my second go around with, with BMG and, and, um, the thing that I love the most is that I feel like we're uniquely placed in the marketplace. We're a small uh, company um, that's very independent-minded, um, but at the same time, we're global, we're big, and we have opportunities that are that can be limited to a major company, mm-hmm. and um, and. The thing that I love about them is the synergistic mindset that the company has. We have weekly calls with our L.A. office Mm. about what they have going on, what they're working on. And and I just on the way over here, I talked with the guy who does all of our Latin stuff. Mm. And um, uh, so so there's that on the actual publishing side. There's the label aspect of BMG and getting that together and how to, cause those, I feel like those artists on that label are my responsibility, mm-hmm. whether we publish them or not. Mm-hmm. Um, how do I help them? How do they help us? How do we engage on a creative level on the writer label side? Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then there's a management component of BMG as well that has proved to be unbelievably helpful mm. to some of our writers. And, um, and, and it's been 
an encouraging thing to see that work together uh, in a way that moves the bar for a writer. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. it, it's, I'm so excited. It's not even funny. I, yeah. I just feel like, yeah, we can dig in deep on a, on a personal level, like an independent and, but yet we can pull in these global people from Australia or Germany or London or wherever and think outside the box and, and move in a um, quick, strategic kind of way that, mm. uh, that can identify a path for a writer or an artist um, that's uniquely them, mm. you know. So good. Well, yeah, you touched a little bit about, you know, BMG obviously as a company is very vast, very mm-hmm. global, you know, in nature. So many genres, you know, mm-hmm. pop world, Latin world, country world, all of the above. How do you approach that sort of pathfinding or, or way making a, a writer finding their lane? Mm-hmm. Do you encourage people to really just kind of hunker down and like, hey, you're a country writer, stick to that master it or do you encourage people to be a little more uh you know well-rounded i guess would be a good way to put it that's the other area i think where my thinking has changed um you know early on it was like no 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 stay in your lane do your thing make sure your grass and your lawn is mowed and looks good before you go playing in the neighbor's yard Mm -hmm. and um but um i feel like and I tell people all the time, I don't work with country songwriters. I just work with songwriters. Hmm. They have a lot of success in the country market because we live in Nashville, Tennessee. But they're songwriters, and they yeah. can do a lot of different things. And and uh, because not everyone who is a writer grew up listening to Merle Haggard. You know, right. and right. so um, uh, one of the things I try to do in, in putting people together when they come from L.A. or London or whatever is just listen to what that person does who's mm-hmm. coming to Nashville and how they do it. And then I look not only at our roster, but the entire music community in Nashville and say, who would be the best creative fit for that person? Mm-hmm. I don't think about the track record. I don't think about they've had this many hits or they've got a deal on this label. What's best for that writer coming to town? Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, and, and there again, I, I've just found that if people are able and put in opportunities to do what they do best – they'll have a tremendous amount of success or can. Mm -hmm. That's where they give themselves the best opportunity. And um, one guy that I work with, that I've been working with, that I met just like that through our L.A. office um, is an artist on Warner Brothers named Shy Carter. And and, um, I just tried to put him in rooms where he could be shy Mm -hmm. and that – Somebody's not going to look at him like he has three eyes, and and uh, and man, and he's so creative and so good, and uh, it it just it just worked, and it didn't matter if it was uh, sitting in a room uh, 
with uh, Billy Currington or Danny Gokey. Mm-hmm. You know, he he was just able to use his skills as a writer and his feel for music and heart and passion in a way that helped them, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, well, I and I can echo that. I got to write with him and James Slater actually a couple of weeks ago. Uh, yeah. He's he is on another planet talent yeah, wise. Right. Such a such a, a yeah, a great great uh addition to your to your roster for yeah. sure. Well, so. I just love he's just a great human being. I just yeah. I just love him yeah. a lot. So. so good. Um what's something that you have learned over your years working in the music business that you wish you, your kind of younger self would have known when you were starting out? Man, I don't know. I, I because I look back over my career and it's it's been like a dream, mm-hmm. and with all of the challenges that have come with it. I don't know that I would change anything Mm. um, because I've learned from every one of those challenges and those obstacles that were placed in front of me Mm -hmm. and how to overcome them. And, um, you know, I I guess if there was one thing I would do more, I, I would just dive into the 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 people that came before me, the people that were here that built this music row, what we know as music row and the songwriting community and, Mm -hmm. and lean into them a little more than I, than I did. Um, especially on the, the other air in the other areas outside of publishing on the label side, on the artist side, on the management side. Um, Boy, if I could go back and spend some time with them and and learn from, you know, Don Light and what he did and what he didn't do or, you know, uh, those kinds of individuals, I think I I feel like I would be better equipped today because Mm -hmm. a lot of companies are turning into more entertainment companies Mm -hmm. and you find yourself doing different things outside of, you know, trying to pitch a song and get on Tim McGraw record. Sure. So, yeah, that's, that's well said. Well, we are, um, coming up on our lightning round, but one thing I wanted to ask before we jump into that is if there was one piece you would give to somebody wanting to become a songwriter or a music publisher for that matter, Mm -hmm. what would that be? Somebody who's starting out in the business. Follow your heart, follow your gut, and don't be afraid to be on input. You do not have to know everything. Hmm. No one does. And um, so learn as you go. Learn why you do things and what you do. Just be on input. Learn from your co-writers learn from your co-workers, learn from those who came in front of you. I think a mistake that a lot of young people coming to town make is they, they want to impress you. And, mm. um, you know, they, they, I write everything and, 
or I know everything. And there's no way you can know everything, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so it already comes with a bit of, you know, mm, I don't believe that. Yeah, But sure. anyway, that would that be on input as much as you can. I love that. I've, I've not heard it, heard it said that way, but that's, that's really good. Stay on input. Mm. You ready for the lightning round? All right, let's give it a go. All right. What was your first concert? Kenny Rogers, Keel Auditorium, uh, St. Louis, Missouri. Nice. What's your favorite TV show? Boy, it's either Life Below Zero or, uh, can I say Naked and Afraid? I don't know. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've not seen either of those shows. Oh, my say. gosh. You're, they're great. All of those off-the-grid things are amazing. Is life below, Is that that kind of show, Life Below Zero? Yeah, yeah. They're kind of survivor off the grid. sort of style. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fair enough. You have your own late-night talk show. Who do you invite on as your first guest? I'd say Craig Wiseman. That's a good answer. What's your favorite holiday? Thanksgiving. What would your perfect vacation look like? Hawaii. <laughs> I was going to say, you're ready for it. <laughs> That's awesome. Any any favorite island on Hawaii? The big island. My wife and I went there on our honeymoon, and nice. and we try to go back as often as we can. We just love it. Awesome. That's awesome. Very cool. We were we were trying to go to Hawaii this year, had our tickets booked and everything to Maui. One of my best friends lives in Maui. Mm-hmm. Of course, COVID hits and yes. changes all of our plans. Right. Well, so. they locked the whole place down. That's so. the thing. I'm te- we're texting once every other week saying, hey, is it is it still on lockdown? You gotta you know, you gotta be on like a two week quarantine. Right. And it's crazy. We'll wait till it settles down. Yeah. But, um, we are gonna be doing a quick deep dive on the entrepreneurial side. You've started your own businesses in the mm-hmm. music space in between stints at BMG. So if people again want to check out that deep dive with Chris Oglesby, made it in music.com. But Chris, thank you so much for making time to be here with us today on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I've enjoyed every bit of it and thanks for allowing me to relive some uh some past experience has been good. Yeah. Thank you. Awesome.